Welcome to Revere Asset Management's Your Money with Danny Stewart. The market will always overshoot to the downside and to the upside. And Don Vandenborg. Because it's not how much you make in the markets, it's how much of that you can keep. AI like it's 1999. You don't want to hear me sing that song, but... That's what it looks like. That's what everybody's asking. And is Pavlov's dog front-running the Fed? And or has Ben Bernanke classically conditioned you, there's the air quotes, classically conditioned you for the virtuous cycle? I've got a great article you probably should read, and it actually has some very good points. I'll get into that in just a minute. It's very good. And then the SECURE Act 2.0, which actually has a couple cool, Congress actually did it, or the lobbyists that write the bills for Congress actually did a couple of things right, but then they also snuck in a couple little gotchas you got to be careful of. But first, but first, last, a couple days ago on our morning call, we were talking back and forth where we have this stock snow, the ticker snow, S-N-O-W, it's a big market leader. And we were talking about that, and I kiddingly made the comment, I because I'm going skiing on spring break, and I made the comment I was going to send them some vids of screaming da- of me screaming down the mountain. And Don said, Dan, we don't want, all we want to see is see you in your tennis shorts. I said, Don, funny you I, should. I believe act- I said over. Over tight tennis shorts. Oh, over, I'm sorry. I over, t- what I over tight. I mean, there's a cle- there's a family show, Don. There's right. a family show. Uh, anyway, so I said, funny you should say that, Don, because I I, I needed a new pair of warm ups, and I was so tired of you go to Dick's or you go anywhere now, and th- what they sell for warm ups for you know eighty dollars or whatever nice warm ups tops and bottoms are basically sweats with a pull string. And some logo on it. I mean, they're just, it's just cheap. Well, it's just cheap. Um, and, and, and so I, I somehow, I was mentioning that to my wife. I said, God, I really love the old warmups, the old Alesse who Chris Everett made yeah. famous in the 70s, or, or, or my Fila shirt that wow. Bjorn Borg, uh, when he first came out, it was Bjorn Bjorg because nobody, uh, new Swedish in America, but Bjorn Borg made famous. In any event, they have these, this whole website is called Golden Age of Tennis. It's got all these throwback clothes. So I went hog. I didn't want anything for Christmas. And I saw this and I went, okay, I'm ordering a warm up. I'm ordering a couple shirts, Filan Alesse. And then I got some Alesse shorts, Don. If the if the listeners write in and they want to see me put Don them on, put them on, Don them on. That's funny. Don them. Um, um, email me and maybe I will. And Don, they that's not like the shorts they got today that come down to your uh, upper shin and they're called gauchos. You know these these like basketball pants. In in tennis, we used to wear like shorts that you know kind of showed off your thighs. Man, you got good thighs. You got it going on. You got to got to show that meat. Well. We can't do that. So so now I've got these shorts, these Alessa shorts, and they are a little bit snug, Don. They're a little bit old school and tight. And we, so, we want to see the throwback. We want to see the I throwback. Know you do. I know I, you anyway, do. Anyway, but it was did so funny. Wear, did you wear a headband? Did you wear a headband? I, I, I never did. When it got too sweaty, sometimes I'd wear a bandana. Bandana worked better for me because it kept the hair out of my eyes. I, I had long hair back then. Well, actually, I need a haircut now. Look at this. I'm getting kind of kind of hippie-like. Um, uh, but I had a little bit of long hair and I used to wear a bandana. So so actually playing, I looked very much like uh, Johan Creek, uh, the tennis player. Okay, He's did, South, you, South uh, did you have the, the pockets on the side to keep the ball in? Yes, yes. I did not tuck it in. I did not tuck hold? it in. Gr- no, no. I, I, yes, I had ball. No, I did not hold. I had a two-handed backhand. I had a two-handed backhand. You had a two-handed so backhand. Yeah, okay. I played just like Connors. Right. I played just like Jimbo. I couldn't do the Western grips like Bajorn Bajorg. I just couldn't do that. Anyway, enough no, said. You, I'm you sh- said because people back then, people couldn't speak Swedish. Is that as opposed to now everybody speaks yeah. fluently? Yeah, I just I thought guess. I'd be funny. I just remember when he first came out, like the very first couple of months, all the, I mean, even the sports announcers on TV, they didn't know you when they'd say Bajorn Bajorg. That was kind of the joke, and he, they got it corrected very quickly. But but the first few months, everybody was mispronouncing his name. Did you, he, did you see yeah. the Borg McEnroe movie? 
Uh, I have not. Well, I know that history so well. I, no, I have not. I probably need to see that. I probably yeah, need that to see a, that. It was pretty good. I saw. Good. Have you seen the Billy Jean, Billy Jean King's got a movie yet? And that's awesome. That's really no. Good. I haven't seen that. Anyway, anyway, I digress. I digress. Um, I just had to do that because that came up so apropos. Don, we actually were talking about that, and my stuff came in the mail literally like two days before. But I will get into that. All right, we are going to talk about markets, and we're going to talk about all of this stuff. But first, in fact, I'm going to do this in reverse order to make this flow more uh, smoothly because I'm such a professional radio uh, host. I'm actually producing on the fly, as you can tell. So I'm going to do this in reverse order. The uh, ten, the 10 2.0 Secure Act, the new Secure Act, the 10 things you need to know. RMDs, required minimum distributions, are going to be later for some clients, 73. Um 401k catch-up contributions for people 60 to 63 years old are now, instead of just 7,500, you can catch up to 10,000. However, IRA catch-ups will only be um, 1,000 and then adjusted for inflation. Gee, thanks. They hate IRAs. Why? Because they can't control them. Do you know who owns 80% of all the assets held in 401ks because they're mostly mutual funds? Vanguard, Fidelity, you, you get it, T. Rowe Price, there's just a few big boys. The lobbyists, the ones that write the bills, now you're getting it. All right, um, let me see. Anyone making over 145000 a year, uh, um, it's got to be Roth contribution. So the catch-up is going to be Roth now, not regular. So you can't, you won't be able to deduct it because if you make over 145000 a year, you're rich. You're absolutely got too much money. Um, in 2024, clients can take out a thousand, this is a cool one, a thousand dollar penalty free a year for emergencies. So you avoid, you still pay income tax, but you get the 10%, you avoid the 10% penalty and you can stick it back in there within three years. That's a cool deal. Uh, student loan repayments can be matched uh, from workers and by the company retirement. I'm a little fuzzy on that. I want to see what that means, how you're doing the student, student loans. This is a good one if, if you want long-term care insurance, but watch out. A lot of long-term care insurance policies, they're not nearly what you think they are on the policies. There's a lot of gotchas in there. If you got any questions on long-term care, call me. But $2,500 penalty-free withdrawal per year for long-term care insurance. So if you got to pay the premium for your long-term care insurance, they'll let you do this. Here's the evil one. Lobbyist, this is the lobbyist and insurance company's dream. And this is what I've been talking about. They've been trying to push through. Longevity annuities will be excluded from RMD calculations. So they're saying, if you want to put an annuity, a lifetime income in, in your 401k and say you got... Uh, 400,000 in mutual funds and stuff, and 100,000 in that annuity. When you calculate your required minimum distributions and you got to take your RMD, they'll leave that out so you don't have to quite take it out. Why do you suppose that is? Well, number one, because you're going to have to annuitize it anyway. You kind of made that deal and you're going to annuitize it over your life expectancy. So when you retire, they're going to turn that on and you're going to get a lifetime annuity. You're going to pay the tax anyway. So don't be a sucker. Now, you can always annuitize it later. Look, if you've got a lump sum and you want to get an income stream for life, you can go to five different insurance companies and say, here's my uh, medical history. Here's my lump sum. I'm, uh, here's a competitive bid. Give me the best deal. And take the best deal as long as they're all credit, same credit quality. So, but here's the thing. Those annuities don't compound or make as much, nearly as much money as an S&P fund or a or, or a combination 60-40, whatever kind of investments you do over the longer term, that annuity is not going to make whatever their illustration they're showing you is. So it's better to invest in, uh, in what you're going to invest in and not do the annuity. And then if you really, really, really want to do a lifetime income annuity when you retire, then you can take that lump sum or a portion of it and do it and bid it out for a competitive bid. But before you do that, call me. We'll talk about it. Um, anyway, auto enrollment for 401ks is going to become mandatory, so you'll actually have to opt out. And this is a cool one that I do like because a lot of people get stuck in 529 plans. They overfunded it. They're kind of clumsy and lousy, but they do it. 
Now you can roll over up to $35,000 from your 529 plan to a Roth. So the students that didn't use their 529 plan can now have a Roth. So those are all very good things. Those are very cool. Uh, one last thing, this is, was not in the mailbag, but it was a nice note from a client that we have. A year-end note for the rub and the Christmas letter. Hey. And she's from Michigan. She's, Michigan. she's actually a professor at University of Michigan. So she was very, very, very happy that the Michigan won the national championship. All right. Now, this stock, I mean, excuse me, this article is called All-Time Highs for Stocks as Bitter Economic Headlines Persist. Okay, so now we're going to go to the mailbag because this dovetails in, and I'm going to throw it to all, all to Don at once and see if he can uh, juggle my um, um, uh, random thoughts. Okay, so I got a few mailbags asking me uh, how can the markets continue to climb with valuations being this high? In other words, they're worried about valuations, but the markets keep going up. What's the deal? It's a great question. Okay, then another question. From MW on 125, Don, interesting data here. He showed a chart. Interesting data here that shows the lack of breath in 2023 rally. What, what he's talking about that is, it, you know, the market S&P was up nicely, but if you take out like the top biggest eight, 10 stocks, it was really up just single day. It wasn't up that much. Really a few, handful of stocks really carried the whole market. So it says, makes you wonder if there is a place to use mega cap ETFs like MGK, ticker MGK, is a tool. We are seeing the increasing dominance of big tech names that leads to even more popularity with investors and FOMO, fear of missing out, MW. Don's response, hi, MW. The RS line on MKG shows mega cap growth goes in and out of favor. Uh, if investors uh, wouldn't, uh, an investor wouldn't, an investor wouldn't be best served to avoid it for August through December of 2022, then re-engage re early 2023. It's been in favor for 24 so far, but as interest rates ease, we expect small cap and mid cap growth to outperform these big names. Earning season reactions. I love how Don quoted that. Not earning season, not the earnings themselves, but the perception or the reaction of the investors to earnings. Earning season reaction will play a, 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 a factor. MJK is, MGK is similar to QQQ, and QQQ is much more liquid. When, if we want to overweight in large cap, we use leverage ETFs such as QLD, TQQQ, TECL and SOXL, that's the semiconductor sector. Uh, by the way, we can take smaller position sizes and then use the excess buying power, the excess cash you left available to buy other names and even T-bills. So, Don, not yet. So with that, with what he was saying right there, I kind of want to talk about this article and then we're going to go into the markets because this is uh, the, the whole discussion, the meat of it right now in the markets in this time and space. And, and so remember, I, I started out the show saying AA, like AI, like it's 1999. The reason I keep saying that is this kind of feels like the tech, right before the tech wreck in 1999, early 2000, you had this big, big run up because of internet and the internet was gonna bring all this productivity gains and everything and valuations ran way up and got very, very extended. But if, but if you stayed out, you missed out on 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70% of those gains toward the end, but then you would give it all back if you didn't have a sell discipline. So in any event, this article, so we're gonna go over this. Inter interesting disconnect from the, from the more dour economic concerns. The average American, and this is a recent survey, left-leaning website, Axio, he says, poll after poll of the country is bombed by the, e by the economy. Nearly four out of 10 Americans' financial situation is uh, poor. There's a Harris poll. Consumer sentiment uh, by the University of Michigan Conference Board uh, confirms this assessment. The stock market highs and the gap between economic expectations is profoundly negative. Move down a little bit. However, the upside of the market can continue and should translate into increased consumer confidence. That's the Bernanke virtuous cycle I was talking about. I'm going to talk about that. 
So improvements in stock market gains make people feel, I'm not reading now, I'm telling it, make people feel richer. They feel richer. They start spending more and it improves the economy. So it has a self-fulfilling prophecy. So it says improvements in consumer confidence lead to increases in consumer spending, which translates into economic growth. However, given higher rates remain, however, given that higher rates remain and consumers have drained most of their savings, this will likely only have a limited impact. This is his opinion. While stocks are, are, are at highs, uh, much of this is based on the assumption the Federal Reserve will cut rates and reintroduce monetary liquidity, front-running the Fed. We previously discussed how the Federal Reserve used the Pavlov's experiment to train investors in the last decade. This classic conditioning, known as the Pavlonian response, actually was talked about by uh, Bernanke in 2010, he had this neutral stimulus. It kind of became his third mandate where the Fed's responsibilities was a creation of the wealth effect. And that's what I was just talking about. Stock prices rose, long-term interest rates fell. Investors began to anticipate this action and started buying in. As higher stock prices will boost consumer confidence, the wealth effect, um, it leads to higher income and profits that in a virtuous circle will further support economic expansion. That was his quote, Ben Bernanke. Anyway, so now here's what this guy's saying. He's saying they're front-running the Fed uh, ahead of the reversal in monetary tightening. Now, uh, he did this, they, they, did a, they did this poll and they were talking about what they think the, the stock market, the biggest drivers of equity prices in, in 2024. 52% said the Fed, 7% was liquidity. Well, liquidity is the Fed. You add those two together, you get 59%. So basically they're saying just rounding about 60% of the market moves is Fed induced. I'm not sure I agree with that. Just telling you what it says. Makes it clear uh, uh, how the market can reach highs despite the underlying view average Americans are feeling little or no participation. So that's one point. Second point, it's a narrow market that goes to the mailbag. Another issue is the narrow market. He talks about that. Top 10 stocks absorb 30% of all the flows into passive indexes. That's because of their market cap. Um, in any event, he actually says this artificial intelligence dominating the media headlines reminds me of Internet 1999. You must be watching our podcast. I've been saying that for months. Mm. Anyway, uh, he said now, so he's talking about this, this diversion, this mega cab stocks. He said such a deviation is unsustainable in the long term. Uh, FOMO outpaces fundamentals and valuations. Uh, current valuation multiples are at risk of disappointment if earnings fail to achieve lofty expectations. Earnings are the key. So here's what he's also talking about, which I've mentioned before. Most economists and mainstream analysts uh, miss the fact that while the economy remains robust, the main driver, the massive increase in deficit spending, meaning government spending, is the reason that we are still in, 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 in GDP is green, is positive, but Americans aren't feeling it, okay? Um, the stimulus campaign, the Inflation Reduction and Chips Acts continue to support the economic activity while the rest of the economy is slowing. Lastly, any risk arising, and this is kind of the same point, I think, uh, of these handful of stocks, disappointment in earnings, uh, a recession um, could lead to considerable market repricing. And he's got a couple quotes here, and I love this. Narrow markets are fine until they aren't, okay? And he also said, uh, you know, and liquidity is not an issue until it is. And so he said, it's it's you what the problem is you've got to realize with markets with market risk it changes slowly and then all at once and so that's the dilemma that i personally have as an investor i'm trying to figure out because i look i'm a i do fundamentals the market is very very richly priced these earnings need to start improving or catch up to these laws, you're going to have to see productivity gains. You're going to have to see some earnings. So there's two ways, and we've talked about this, that you can revert to the mean. Either you get a correction in stock prices, prices come down to the mean, 
or earnings start coming up and you, and the fundamentals get cheaper. In other words, if you have a PE, I'm going to be real ridiculous for the math. If you've got a PE of 100, 100 that means it takes 100 years to get back even, okay? 100 years, but you're making 100% return. You're making 100%. Next year, your, your P.E. is going to be 50 and then 25. That's why earnings growth, that's why they came up with that peg ratio, P.E. divided by growth, because that will adjust. So higher, faster growing stocks command a higher P.E. because it'll be lower very shortly if their earnings continue to accelerate. The P.E. will come down. So what he's saying is these earnings have to accelerate so the P.E. comes down because the earnings has gotten, the numerator's gotten bigger, or you got to have a drop in the stock market. And when I talk about reversion to the mean, that's pretty far off. And when that starts to happen, it still it could happen very rapidly. And so I feel much more confident the way we do it here at Revere because we have a sell discipline so we can participate and make some profits while it goes up, but I'm not worried about getting creamed on the way down. You might give back some, but you're not going to get crushed. So with that, I know that was an awful lot, Don. I know that was a big... That battle. was an awful lot, Dan, but your brain is so large, it's hard to tone it back. I understand I, that. I know that. I know that. That's why I didn't wear a headband. I couldn't find one that fit. That's, yeah, you don't want to break that. If that went flying off your head and hit Zach in the eye, our, our producer, you know, we just wouldn't be able to finish the show. Yep, yep. I couldn't find a headband that fit. I like that. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, you do. You write that down, you clever man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My brain's so big, I got to write that down because I'll forget it as soon as I walk out the door. Right. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, go ahead. Tell us what's going on with the markets. Tell All us right. what we need to buy and sell. Well, <laughs> All right, Dan. Well, it's a bull market. Back to you. All right. Uh, I'm showing the S&P 500 here, and I'll just draw a very simple line. Last Friday, we had a clean breakout of this 4,800 level. Uh, it had acted as resistance uh, the prior three, four weeks. Uh, there was an inflection point going back about six weeks. That was when uh, the markets perceived that Jay Powell was going to start cutting interest rates uh, this year. And they had, they, he said in the press conference, they had three rate cuts scheduled and or forecasted. And the market took off after that, went up, consolidated, and now another clean breakout. The bears can't believe it. Uh, they're left speeches, uh, speechless. And every day since that clean breakout, I remember when I did the video last Friday, I mentioned we may see a back test of this 4,800 level before uh, heading higher. And the market just laughed at me and said, no, we're going higher from day one. We've had higher highs, higher high closes every day this week. And now another higher high on Friday. It's uh, 12, 12 p.m. Eastern time. And um, this is, I mean, plain and simple, this is bullish action. Yeah, and we, uh, hey, Don, real quick, do you, I just want to, so we've had some very strong closes, and that's, I, I like that. Do you consider opens or closes more important? Well, the close, definitely. Okay. Typical okay. bull market action is weakness in the morning uh, and buying coming into the close. We've been seeing more uh, strength in the morning, gaps up and coming back near even before some uh, strength into the close. We can see this, I'll bring up, especially in the steps, and it's been, been kind of irritating, uh, frankly. Let me bring up the small cap index. And the small caps are really being driven by interest rates. Uh, so here's IWM, the last five trading days, strengthening fade, strength into the close. Strength in the morning with another gap up, quick fade, uh, strength into the close. Another gap up. This was Wednesday. Fade all day. Close at the lows. Thursday, another gap up. Fade. A little bit of strength into the close. Guess what we had today, Dan? Another gap up. Uh, been fading, basing. So let's see how we close. This is tied very closely to what is going on with uh, interest rates. I'll bring up the 30-year. You can see weakness in the uh, And then strength day goes along and this is pretty simply why um 
caps have been acting that way. They they move the opposite of interest rates because small caps are in growth mode, typically levered. Uh, interest rates going higher are not good for small and mid cap growth companies. Uh, back to the S and P 500, and uh, you know it, we every attempt at a pullback this week has been bought. Very similar to what I just showed on uh, the IWM. Uh, anytime we pull back. Uh, with the gaps up, we we end up buyers are coming in. So you know it's a bull market. Um, we here's the clean breakout last Friday with a nice trend up day that really started the prior Wednesday with the test of that key level that we're always looking at the 21 day move right here. It reclaimed it by the end of the day, and now off of that seven straight up days, and. Um, you know, it, it's we we say all the time. It's like a surfer. You get on the board, you catch a wave, you ride the wave as far as it will go. Uh, that's what we did with these other inflection points that we had here. Ride the wave, ride the wave. Okay, the wave is slowing down. We'll pull back a little bit. How far are we going to pull back? Not very far at all. Just form a little tight three-week base, uh, and then catch the next wave as you get on it. And right now we're just riding this one higher. We'll continue to do that, raise our stops up. Anything that we buy, not everything works. It's earnings season. You, you have earnings blow ups. You also have earnings gaps up. Uh, those impact individual sectors as well as individual stocks and the indexes. Uh, for example, yesterday, uh, uh, or uh, going back to last week, we had two great uh, earnings reactions by Taiwan Semi and earlier this week by uh, ASML that moved the uh, semiconductors higher. Last night we had terrible reports from Intel and uh, KLA 10 core, uh, but all we did on the socks is pull back to the eight day exponential moving average, find support, and then start to work our way higher. We actually entered socks L today on this bounce off the eight day exponential moving average because uh, it's a great risk reward. We should hold today's lows, and if we don't, we'll be out. Uh, so in addition to NVIDIA and AMD, uh, the risk reward was there for the entry that we had. We're overweight semiconductors, and um, some of our biggest positions uh, aren't semiconductor-related or tech-related. Uber, ride-hailing, uh, making a new high. This is uh, one of our top four holdings. Uh, NVIDIA is in our top four, CrowdStrike, this is security, this is tech, it's in the security sector. Undercut and reclaim the eight-day exponential moving average keeps making higher highs and higher lows. Uh, Eli Lilly having a nice uh, day today. Uh, the weight loss drugs forming a, a, a nice tight sideways consolidation. And, um, you know, we're uh, just going with uh, trying to find the best names in the best sectors. I want to point out, so when they see that chart, when you're looking, if you're watching the show, up in the top right, that negative 23%, that's not, that's the volume change. Right above that is the daily change percentage-wise. Just so above it, so you got eight dollars. It's up eight dollars. It, it's six thirty-five a chair up eight dollars, and it's up one point three percent. But that negative twenty-three percent just means the volume is down today. So I just want to clarify yes, that when correct. they see that. Okay. All right. Well, that was okay. a good one. Yeah, that's that's uh, where we are. All right. What are the what does the team got for us? Let's go to Michael first. Take it away, Mike. Okay. How's the audio? Is it good Sound today? Good. Sounds, Sounds good. great. All right, perfect. Um, so this week I'm going to talk about um, the emerging market ETF, and uh, well, I guess the index, but one of the ETFs that tracks it is EEM, and the benchmark is the MSCI Emerging Markets Index and market cap weighted index, which means that all of the components in there are the size that, that um, the portfolio contains is based on the market cap of the securities. So if you look at EEM, it tracks very, very closely to the index. It's really underperformed. And if you've been in emerging markets, you've, the US is the place to be. And yeah, you've, it's been best to avoid emerging markets. And, and under the hood, if you, if you look at why it's been underperforming so much, it's really, it really comes down to the way that it's weighted and the fact that there's so much weighting on China. And a way that you can see the China market is there's an ETF MCHI, 
which shows you the performance of, of the entire Chinese market. And it's really interesting. China has significantly underperformed for a few years now. And when that's the largest weighting in your portfolio, it, it's going to be very hard to, well, it's just going to be impossible to, to perform. And then the second largest weighting is INDA or India. And um, what's interesting about India is that now it makes up about almost 17% of the, of the index, but because it's market cap weighted, it's actually grown in size. And if you see, if you compare the Chinese market to the Indian market, they've kind of, uh, it's almost, it seems as though China's passing the baton to India. And while India grows and it has volatility to the upside, China has been declining and, and you've got downside volatility. But when you even them out and as one grows, the other one declines, it, it kind of results in this, this flat, flat movement, which is what, what you've seen in emerging markets that have kind of gone flat over the last uh, almost decade, really. So it hasn't been the place to be. And some other components of emerging markets, I mean, it's really almost 50% of it is, is in China and India, with India growing in size and China declining. And then you've got Taiwan, Korea, Brazil, and then a few others like Saudi Arabia, South Africa, and Mexico. And the way that these indexes are constructed is they've got, uh, you've got weighting based on the countries, but you've also got weighting based on the sectors. And the highest weighting is the financials. So you've got China and financials. So Chinese financials make up a large portion of the portfolio. And one of the indexes or the ETFs that you can see to track the Chinese financials is CHIX. And that basically bounced off lows this week. So emerging markets, not, not the place to be. If you do want to play emerging markets, you can actually dive into and the way I did, you can break it down and see all the, all the uh, components and see the countries. And if you find a country like India, that's actually doing really well. Instead of buying the entire emerging market index, you can create your own index by buying a percentage of these different country ETFs or just sizing up the, the country that you think is going to do best. So I would recommend doing that versus uh, an index that, that's got this weighting mechanism that is, is going to underperform as, as China declines in, in size and value. So that's how I would do it. And a few of those names, if you're interested, uh, you've got MCHI, which I mentioned is China, but then EWT is the Taiwan ETF. EWY is South Korea, which makes up 13% of the emerging market ETF. And EWZ is Brazil. But if you go online and look up uh, whatever country you're interested in ETF, you'll find some and, and yeah, you can track them and see what you're outperforming and, and size those and, and buy accordingly. And and if you want to reach out to us, we can we can we can send you a list of of the country ETFs. But, but here here's one point, folks, and this is the problem with the asset allocation model. Okay, if you're going to invest overseas, whether it's developed nations like Europe and, and Japan, or whether it's emerging markets, if you're because you got a you got two risks. You got whether the stock or bond goes up in value, and then you got the translation risk when you bring the investment back and retranslate it to your home currency dollars. So you have currency risk. Point being is you've got a lot more risk when you're investing overseas versus your home country. If your home country is beating the snot out of emerging markets, there is no reason to be in emerging markets. Let me repeat that in plain English. You shouldn't have had a broad emerging markets fund for the last three or four years. America's doing better. Why would you take that risk? Now, at some point when the dollar really starts getting weaker and things start looking better, that's fine. A strong dollar is tough. It puts headwinds for a lot of these countries. Now, Michael was talking about the divergence. He's right. India and Mexico and a couple of the surrogates that are going to be the surrogates and kind of replace China, they're doing really well. And then, if you know, and then uh, Korea and, 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 and a couple of countries, but that's it. Other than cherry picking those couple of countries, you really don't want to have a broad basket. Now you can say, well, Dan, what about the same thing in, in the United States? You get a broad basket of S&P. Yes, that's true versus the leading stocks. That's why you'd want an NVDA or an Uber or whatever. But our indices are still acting right. 
they're acting okay. So you can have the indices over here while it's acting right. It's just not worth the risk. Now that may change, but that's a very important point. And that's one of the weaknesses in that just pie chart asset allocation model. All right, sorry, I'll get off my bully pulpit. Don? Yeah, while, while Mike was going through that and uh, mentioning the different countries, I brought up a comparison chart of a lot of the tickers he was mentioning. And, and the strongest emerging market, as he mentioned, India, over the last three years still underperforms the S&P 500. So yeah, uh, if you're cool, in emerging cool markets chart. over the last three years, yeah, emerging markets down 27%, S&P 500 up 32%. This is called diversification. You're, you're spreading out into other investments and all it's doing is dragging down your return because they're not performing uh, as well as the S&P 500. And it makes no sense to us. I always liken it to going to the grocery store and buying rotten vegetables just to say you're having a, a, a balanced diet. Dumb. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. And what, why do it? Why do it? Uh, it, it you're, it's not a winning play. You feel good you're diversified. All you're doing is flushing money down the drain while emerging markets underperform. Now, if they start to overperform, great. We'll pay attention to that. Uh, but when the when the best component of an index is still underperforming the S&P 500, which is the average uh, American index, yes, it's overweighted with tech, but that's the benchmark. Um, it, why do it? I mean, you can look at India and say, what a great chart that is. Well, the relative sign is telling you uh, a different story here that it's just basically staying in line with the S&P 500. Now, now, Don, Don, All you, right. you could, wait, Don, yes. Don, you could, theoretically, you could, I'm just throwing this out here. I'm not disagreeing with you because I, I, I do agree with you, but theoretically, you could make the argument because India is, even though it's behind the S&P, it's not too far behind and it's, it's kind of keeping up. You could argue that that is a little diversification away from the S&P or the big tech that's market cap weighted on that. So it could be a, another component of it, but I still agree, you know. You still, why would you go overseas when, when you could do it here? All right. All right. Let's move on to Connor. Connor's going to break down uh, the S&P 500 and talk energy today. Yeah, that's uh, not the one of the worst performing sectors this year, but I just kind of want to talk about three names and, um, you know, some look like beach balls underwater if this group starts to move. So yeah, on that, you can see um, this is a three-month uh, change for the S&P 500 sectors, and there's only one red sector, and that's energy. Um, it's been extreme. It's been pretty weak, and clearly all the money's been flowing into, you know, AI, semiconductors, uh, cybersecurity, et cetera. So, um, but as we've seen in the market, it's always rotating. You always have to keep an eye on things um, because... If, if you're not watching it, it could turn without you. So it's good to stay engaged with every different area. So if you pull up a chart of XLE, this is energy ETF. Um, yesterday did get over the 50 day, which was a change in character. It's been in a downtrend line uh, for quite some time, but you can see it was, it was coming in and poking that downtrend line that it continues to reject, which coincides with the 200 day moving average. So, um, that, that 85 area is um, really the area to watch if this can break out. Um, but it definitely is trying to rally a bit. And obviously the 200 day moving average will be the clear pivot if this wants to get moving. But um, three names that uh, are standing out in this area is the first one's MPC. Um, you know, when you look at XLE and you look at this chart, they look nothing alike. and and that's just showing it's shown relative strength. While energy's been selling off, this is putting in an eight month base and it's more so correcting via time than price. And that's exactly what you wanna see. And NVIDIA was a great example of this. Um, it lagged while the markets were still going up and then that six month base uh, blasted out into new highs. So this is a really constructive looking base if it can break out and it's definitely showing some relative strength. Uh, next one is PSX. This is another Nate com component of XLE and same thing. It's shown a lot of relative strength that it broke out yesterday. 
Yeah, there we go. It broke out yesterday. Now it's kind of coming, pulling back in, but that routine bounce off the 50 day. And as you can see, when XLE started to bounce a little bit, these names really took off. And then the last one is OKE. This is another one that looks worse than these two, but nevertheless, it's, it is showing relative strength. It's in a big range, but really just have alerts for those highs to see if it can break out um, and prove itself. But I just want to mention those three names because I think they are acting like beach balls underwater if energy wants to you know, get into gear. And I think it's good to always have some leaders from different sectors ready to go if you know money starts flowing back into energy and it's definitely a possibility with you know the middle east conflicts and all that stuff so something to keep an eye on all right good stuff connor and one note xle lagging the the by far the two biggest weightings in xle are the houses exxon and chevron uh, and you can yeah. see although they've had good days uh, over the past week uh, their charts just plain and simply look awful. So we're not looking for the most commonly known name in the group. We're looking for the best acting and those tickers that uh, Connor brought up certainly fit that bill. Thanks very much. Let's yep. go on to Ted. Ted's gonna talk about stage analysis. Yep, thanks Don. So as Michael talked about, S&P outperformed their emerging markets and Connor and you just described how we want to be in the strongest stocks and the strongest sectors. Stage analysis and looking at the market internals through a stage analysis lens helps us understand if the market is healthy or unhealthy and where to position ourselves. And so if you look at the bottom of this photo I have, this is a few features that is in this new DeepView platform that I've been using for a year. And it, it displays the stocks in stage one, stage two, stage three, stage four, and then an additional one called stage four B minus. And before I describe how I interpret these numbers, I just wanted to give a, give a review of stage analysis. Connor talked about this a few months ago, and then I in initially introduced this concept a year ago, like shortly after I joined Revere. So here it is. One of the most perfect charts of stage analysis is the RK um, Kathy Wood Growth ETF. I, I boxed in the various stages. So let's start with on the left side, the green box. This is the stage two uptrend. And when a stock is sector or a market is in a stage two uptrend, uh, some very distinct characteristics um, are shown. For example, the 30 week move in average, which is the magenta line and the 40 week move in average are in uptrends. Uh, the 10 week move in average, which is the red line is above those two and price is above all three, forming higher highs and higher lows, as you can see on this RK chart. Once you get into stage three, this is like the topping phase. Um, usually the start of stage three is often marked by a huge weekly break below the 10 week moving average on huge volume. And after that, the stock ETF or index may struggle to rally into new highs. This is where you just start going sideways for multiple months. Um, I marked that in the orange box on this chart. And then finally, once you break down below the 30, 40 week moving averages, as well as the 10 week with those on, with with those aligning the opposite of what we had in stage two, we're officially in stage four decline. And this is where you just, you wanna be out or short. And again, the characteristics, the price structure in stage four is the polar opposite of stage two. You see lower highs and lower lows on this chart. And here's a, another characteristic. Once you get to the end of stage four, um, it's been super extended to the downside. You might get a final flush or capitulation action this is what is called stage four B minus. And often these are areas where if you're a trader, a very tactical trader, you can look for an entry point of the 10 week for a trade into that 30, 40 week moving average. But the expectations of this trade is a lot shorter than if you were to buy a stage two breakout. And so as on this chart, once we rally back into the 30 and 40 week, we started basing. And this is what is known as stage one. It's like, it's also known as the neglect phase. It's just, just the stock is buying time. You're letting this, the sellers and the buyers kind of equal each other out before the supply and demand imbalances favors the upside. And so with that said, I um, want to discuss just these figures that I have here. Um, so we talked about stage one, stage two, stage three, stage four, and stage four B minus. This is the current live reading. 
Um, stage two, there's over 2,600 stocks in stage two versus about 1,300 in stage four. That's about a two to one ratio between stage two and stage four stocks. And I mean, as you can see, S&P and NASDAQ, a lot of stocks are in uptrends. We're in all-time highs, actually. And this is pretty reflective of the markets. And so other hypothetical scenarios um, and my interpretation of them, if we begin, if we start seeing some of these stage two stocks shift into stage three, that may be the first sign that the market is undergoing distribution. If we were heavily favored in stage four, for example, we had the opposite ratio, maybe two, three to one um, between stage four and stage two stocks. We're probably in a downtrend at that very time and the market is really weak. If you were in the downtrend, we started seeing some of those stage four stocks shift into stage four B minus. Perhaps we might be able to, um, it might signify to us that stage four might be coming to an end, but we want to see those stage four B minus stocks then shift into stage one. Um, even then, it isn't the best time to get to participate because you don't know how long stage one can last in stocks, indexes, and sectors. And then, what, and then finally, if we start seeing a huge move into stage two stocks like we have now, this is where we want to be in the markets and specifically in, in the leading stocks. Um, this is just a neat feature that I want to share that's part of my analysis and part of Rubier's analysis. Um, and it helps us stay on the right side of the market. So Ted, are you trying to, so you're trying to identify all, you're trying to buy stocks in stage two primarily, right? Yeah. You want all stocks yeah. in stage two. You don't want, I mean, yeah. unless you're shorting in stage, stage four. Um, all right. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's very and what's, interesting. And what's really, and what's really neat about how I, um, highlighted my boxes is that you can see how narrow um, stage three and stage one are versus the stage two and stage four. And that's where the moves come from, where you can catch an actual move versus getting chopped up in stage three and stage four. Yeah. And, you can and see the contrast between the boxes. Yeah. And kind of said another way, a sideways. So these are synonymous terms, sideways or channel or horizontal market. Those are all mm -hmm. when, when the market's kind of trending sideways. Historically, normally those last for about three months, four months. They don't last long because the market finally gets impatient. It's behavioral finance. It's people finally either give up and capitulate or start buying and mm -hmm. it breaks out one way or the other. And six months is about the outside. I mean, it, there's been a few instances where it gets longer than six months, but normally it doesn't happen. And that's, that kind of confirms what you're saying that stage three and one yep. are shorter. Yeah, okay. the alpha moves are in stage two and stage four, long yeah. on the stage two side and then short the stage four side. And those are the trending moves up and down. So yeah. stage two yeah, is yeah, up exactly. and stage four is down. Got it. Yeah. That's very interesting. All right. Last question, because you're doing it. You, you did that. This, that's such a succinct chart. And it's very good. At the end of stage three. If yeah. it, so is it so can you go from stage two to three and then resume an uptrend and go back into yes. two? In yep. other words, what if the, okay, yes, I, just, I, I knew the yeah. answer. I just wanted to, I wanted you to clarify. So yep. he's, he was showing you one whole complete cycle folks. So stage one would be also over on the left of stage two, when you're looking at the chart and it kind of goes in a, he's talking about a cycle. However, you could go yep. from stage two to three back to two and then to three and four again. So it's not always just one, two, three, four. Yeah. And Don, if you could pull up MarketSmith and bring up AMR, the coal stock on a weekly, that was an example of a stock that may look, may have looked like it was topping, like what Dan, like the scenario Dan just described, but we broke to the upside and it made another really nice move um, on a weekly chart. Yeah. You see that huge stage two uptrend that yep. lasted like two years. This is yeah. one of the best performing stocks, I think, in the last three to four years. And then, yeah, Don highlighted that huge channel. If we broke down and the moving averages started turning downward, it would have been stage four. But in this case, we, we broke to the upside and it resumed stage two. I, I wonder how many people got lucky and bought that about four years ago, thinking that was American Airlines. <laughs> <laughs> just, just doing a search, you put it in their claw, claw I forgot mm -hmm. all about it. Anyway. And, the final, the final thing I want to add is that stage analysis is more of a, a higher level perspective analysis um, versus like when we want to get into stocks, sometimes we want to see more of a swing cycle for even more precise entries. And that's when Don uses like the AN21 EMAs. This is more of like a weekly, like big picture 
Yeah, they, yeah, this, this, yeah, a little bit longer term, midterm, a little bit longer. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah, got it, got it. And folks, let me ask you just a hypothetical. You, the listeners, not the team at Revere. Does your advisor follow this stuff this closely? I mean, I brought up a, 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 a comment on Ted about stage two and three going back into two, and he pulls up a, a stock in his head because he knows the charts and pulls up AMR. I'm, I'm just wondering, just wondering, is, 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 is your advisor – following the markets that closely or is he playing golf just just a question anyway don back to you that's going to wrap it from the market side dan take us home all right folks listen if you like what you heard oh by the way if you like my lsa outfit see i've even got the nice warm-up shorts so uh if you want to see the shorts the short shorts then you're going to have to email me we'll take a poll see how many people if it's just two i'm not going to do it um Anyway, my wife's in. She loves them. So anyway, that's one. We just need a few more. Uh, folks, listen, if you like what you heard, please tell a friend, tell a neighbor. Just send them to revereasset.com. Up in the right-hand corner, there's a subscribe button. They can put in their name and email address. We're not going to bug them or hassle them. It's up to them to reach out to us for a complimentary portfolio review if they just want to uh, have a topic or stock they want us to talk about on the radio. There's a contact button right next to that. Sends me an email directly, and I'll be happy to answer any of your questions. You can email any of us at dan at revereasset.com, don at revereasset.com, michael, ted, or connor at revereasset.com. And you can always, always, always call us old school at 855-REAL-WEALTH. Folks, we'll talk to you next week on Your Money. Because it's not about how much you make in the market, it's about how much you can pee. Your Money Radio podcast covers general topics and investment ideas for research. It is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be investment advice. If you want or need investment advice, contact your own advisors or reach out to Revere Asset Management for individual investment advice. For more information, just go to revereasset.com.